big swing that time. <laughs> he, just, he just about walked backwards to third after that swing. He almost lost his balance. <laughs> so he has all kinds of weapons. He punts and he swings away. Welcome to the BBA Today, your podcast that covers events around the Brewster Baseball Association every day with your host, Yellow Springs 9 General Manager, Ron Collins. And now, let's get on with the show. It is Thursday here in the Brewster Baseball Universe, and you know what that means. That means a three-strike edition of the BBA Today. And so, as always, I have... Oklahoma Cyclones General Manager Justin Niles with me here today to throw out some strikes. I hope you're ready, Justin. This is going to be an exciting one. We were uh, we didn't do it last week, and, and I was busy rebranding the team, and so I'm ready to roll. There you go. Well, we've got all sorts of things going on. It is January 1st as we speak in the BBA, January 1st, 2043, so Happy New Year. There's free agency stuff going on. we got Rule 5 stuff going on. We've had lots of graphics talk on the forum, uh, conversation about handedness, and international free agency market is on the uh, horizon. I cannot wait to hear uh, what your strikes are here, Justin. So let me, um, I think I won the coin toss, so I've elected to receive you throw out the first strike. All righty. So we're going to start talking about uh, free agency. Um, with the continued calls for Pedro Rocha to please sign somewhere, and those calls are coming from me to please sign somewhere, and with teams publicly stating what their offers were, uh, where does he end up, and what team do you think actually needs him the most? Um, and the third part of this, you know, what's the most you would personally pay him to come to Yellow Springs? Well, I'll take the the last part first. I mean, I would not pay him very much to come to Yellow Springs, but only because I already have four uh, locked-in starters, and I don't have uh, <laughs> uh, my real the reality of my situation does not um, uh, does not pre uh, make it make sense for me to bring him in. That having been said, I think what your spirit of the question is is what do I think he's actually worth on the uh, free market? Um, if I if I had no constraints, how much would I pay him? Um, and so I really like the conversation. I think Fred had a conversation, uh, Fred Holmes, the uh, general manager of Mexico City, where Rocha is coming from. Uh, he would have liked to have kept him down around $12 million a pop, but that would have been insane for Rocha to sign for. I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I think as a free market value, he's probably worth that 15 to $16 million that I think he's he was asking. I haven't checked recently. Um Will he go for that? He'll probably go for a little more than that because he is like the last big fish standing, and I think there are a ton of teams who need Pedro Rocha, uh, need a starter like that. Uh, Omaha being one of them, I think. Boise is another. Brooklyn is another. Edmonton. uh, Portland has been very public, as you noted, about uh, throwing out uh, the fact that they are looking for him. And quite honestly, Portland is an interesting uh, spot for him as far as that goes. If I were a betting person, uh, which, you know, I mean, if I were going out to bet for entertainment, the group that I think he will land with is Brooklyn. Uh, I think Ben has got a little bit of money. I think he has set a plan, and he already uh, picked out uh, uh, Pierre Legrand. I think he would absolutely adore putting 
Pedro Rocha next to him and seeing what happens with the uh, with the rest of the year. But who am I to know? One of the things I love about free agency is that you think you kind of get a flavor for what's going on, and then some team comes out of the blue and just blows everything away. Um, so uh, clearly Rocha has decided that he is uh, going to play the coy game. Uh, he's going to soak somebody for as much money as he can Absolutely. So I I will be the first to admit that, you know, I admitted on Slack too, but for those who aren't on Slack, I was in on him for a little bit. Um, I offered him a three-year $60 million deal um, that was going to pay him $34 million this year. So I backloaded it to, uh, to 34 and then uh, 13 a year after that. Um, and he, I was, that's why I was like, oh, I'm going to sign Rocha this, this Sam. He didn't sign. And so I quickly pulled out of it. Um, you know, I think that whoever does sign him, is actually going to regret it in about two years' time. I mean, six years is a is a lot to take on a on a thirty year old pitcher. And so, um, you know, you went with Brooklyn. I'm actually going to go with San Fernando. I think San Fernando is going to sweep in and sign him. That would not be uh, too surprising either. Like I said, I think there's probably six or eight or ten teams that could really use a guy like that. And San Fernando is another one of the uh, kind of coy. Um, Interesting. I'm going to be very interested to see what the media guide uh, suggestions are for a couple of teams in San Fernando as one of them. If they could add a big name pitcher, that would certainly help their profile quite a bit because I think they're better than a lot of team people um, think they are before it's all said and done. Yeah, and no, we definitely could use them, but and we have I think we have like 30, 30 or thirty five million in cap space, but I'm just not going to spend sixteen million dollars on a thirty year old pitcher, and so. Uh, for those six to eight teams that are still chasing him, uh, Godspeed. <laughs> well, I think Rochi is an interesting case. At 30, if he were 31 or 32, um, general managers would probably be, 32 especially, general managers would be very unlikely to want to give him a six-year deal. If you put yourself in Roach's shoes, right, your three-year deal that you offered him was very attractive from a raw dollar standpoint but it would leave him at free agency at age 33, which is a time period where he's unlikely to get another big deal, right? So he's got an interesting thing. I would actually see, if I were Rocha, I would be looking for either, uh, if I were a human being named Pedro Rocha thinking about this, I'd be looking for either a one-year mega deal, right? Give me $35 million for one year. Or I'd be looking for six years at 15 or whatever that number is. Because uh, I do not want to go into free agency at age 32, 33. I want to uh, either get my long-term financial um, stability right this minute or give me such a big chunk that I'm willing to wait for another one year. Um, because I still think at 31, people are willing to give longer-term uh, longer contracts. At uh, 32, it can happen, but not too often. For anybody willing to try that, I on my, on my $34 million deal for the first year, I did give him an opt-out after that first year. Um, and then the third year as well uh, was a player option. So technically, he was getting two opt-outs. It would be a year-by-year. Year. Uh, he had no interest in it, and so we have no interest in him. Well, there you oh. go. Well, if we're on free agency, let me uh, stick around there and throw you my first strike. Uh, pick a different guy. Uh, Louisville just signed uh, Yanosuke Torada, Godzilla to a five-season deal, um, kind of varies between 10 and $15 million per with a player option and things like that. Um, uh, Godzilla had a breakout, uh, a second breakout season. He was fantastic for, for Boise, 
in his first season or two rookie year. Um, then he hit on some pretty cold uh, streaks, uh, a deep cold spell for a couple of years, 2040 and 41. He was um, less than a war combined. But then last year broke out again for three and a half war. My question to you is, we're talking about aging players and free agency. He's 29 years old, theoretically kind of the peak or toward the end of his peak. Which Godzilla did the slugger sign? Is he gonna is he gonna be another three war guy or is he gonna drop back again? Oh God! Well, I mean, I hope since he's in the since he's in the Heartlands that he's going to be the uh, the negative war guy. Um, but you know, he's 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 an interesting guy. I think he's going to fade. Um, he's he's better against lefties, and you know, if played just against lefties, you know, he's he's quite a bit better than average. Um, but, you know, even last year, he was just a bit above average against right-handed pitching, which, you know, we've discussed is right-handed pitching is much, much more plentiful than, than left-handed pitching in the league. Um, I really hate to think that they, as in Louisville, paid a guy this much to platoon. Uh, they don't have any other first baseman, so he's going to play on both sides this year. Um, and I guess, you know, they had the money available. Um, so rolling the dice probably isn't the worst idea here. Um, however, I don't think this is a five-year deal. I think this is going to be a, a three-year deal tops as uh, Louisville is going to opt out of those final two years. Um, so those three years, they're going to pay him 35 instead of the, uh, I think, 65 or whatever it was. Uh, but I, I, I'm marking it down. They're going to have a total of less than eight war over those three seasons for him. Yeah, that probably makes as much sense as anything. Louisville definitely needed to do something since um – Yancy Cravat left to go to the Umeba uh, big dollars um, uh, earlier. And so I, it, it'll be interesting to watch what Godzilla does in that ballpark. The ballpark is a very offensive-minded ballpark, so he could fade a little bit and his numbers would still possibly look a little better than average. Um, one of my most intriguing favorite uh, players to watch in this coming season before it's all said and done. And yes, since he's in Louisville... I can't help but have my uh, my rooting uh, glasses on, uh, hoping for the for the lesser side of <laughs> uh, the lesser Godzilla showing up rather than the Mega Godzilla. But you know he's a Louisville guy, so life doesn't go well for me in those kinds of things. Oh, no, I well I I'm right there with you. I'm really hoping we see a. Um, I don't even want a positive. I don't even want a point five. I want a I want a negative two four. <laughs> <laughs> there you uh, go. Let me toss you over my second strike. You mentioned uh, international free agency opened up, um, and you know I took a look real quick at the players, and and I must say it looks like a very big list of potential superstars, um, especially compared to last year or, or seasons past. Uh, do you think there's a reason for that? And uh, what are you willing to share as far as your uh, international free agent principles and beliefs? Um, when you ask, is there a reason for that? Do you mean, um, you know, breaking I, the thing? Is there something internal to the game that causes that? Um, yeah, yeah. Was there anything changed like internally that that can kind of point towards this, or is it kind of a just an oddity? I don't think it, I don't think there's anything specifically that changed in the like the version changeover or anything like that. Um, I will say that really for the first time in a very long time, I spent a lot of time um, 
you mentioned that we didn't do this uh, three strikes last week, and people have uh, thrown out comments that the BBA today has dropped in its frequency. One of the reasons why is I was spending a whole lot of time this offseason trying to understand um, where players come from and uh, change modifiers and things like that. I was trying to give Matt a little bit of... Um, I'll call it technical support as he was going about making the decisions that he made uh, when it comes to change modifiers and whatnot. Um, I do not think that, um, I, I don't think there's anything specific that changed. I think there's a likelihood that the PCM modifiers that we changed uh, affected things a little bit. And if I have my belief system, uh, if I lay, lay out my belief system, it's that the game is looking at um, the talent levels that are out there and making adjustments kind of on the fly for the players that it creates uh, with, it, with knock on wood, some advance notice of what they, I mean, they know what their development models are. They ought to be able to do some projections and so forth. Now that's giving the development team a lot of, advance credit. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, talent levels are constantly shuffling in and out across the league time. If you run a long-term sim, you'll see talent levels change uh, a lot without the game making any internal changes, right? So I think there's a lot of randomness to it also. Uh, fundamentally, I think that the whole um, the whole IFA thing this year is going to be extremely interesting. We've had a little skirmish of a conversation on Slack before we sat down to have this conversation uh, with several other members of the league. Um, you know, some things that are going into this. Last year, the league standardized all of our media contracts. So some of the big name teams like uh, Louisville is one of them that we've been talking about. Uh, my own team last year threw $50 million or two years ago threw $50 million into the drink, right? Um, but that's because my media contract was high enough. Uh, I'm probably about $10 million down to what I could spend this year if I choose to get into it. Uh, so I think the media contract change will shave off some dollars on the top end that some of the big teams have been used to throwing around. They're going to have to be a little more careful. And I just noticed the conversation, uh, another change that has occurred, and I don't know if it was a Matt thing or a default um, version 21 thing, is that the ceiling has raised from 1 million to 5 million, which my initial gut reaction is that that means some of the lesser um, uh, budget teams can throw a little more dollars and can afford that, you know, every single time that a season ends and I see that long list of owner took $15 million of profit from low-grade team X, I think, well, that's $15 million they should have spent on IFAs or something, yep. right? Um, so I think this extra $5 million before you lose a penalty will help the teams that don't have a whole lot of money. Um, and while still penalizing the big teams, like when Yellow Springs goes out and throws $20 million down, then I'm, I'm locked down, right? So I'm really excited about this one. I'm not sure how it's going to work out before it's all said and done. Um, anyway, that's a really long and rambling conversation for usually these three strikes are not quite so, <laughs> so uh, intricately technical, but I thought that was an interesting question. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
let me turn, let, let's stay on the topic of IFA since we're here. Um, you know, you noted we've got seven players, I think, that are listed at 75 to 80 and several more that are down lower than that. Um, what do you think? will be the, the top bid. Who do you think will be who do you think will be the player that is bid for the most and where do you think that that's gonna lie? How how many are we gonna see another fifty million dollar uh sixteen year old? Well I I think, like you mentioned, that's being stabilized a little bit with the media contracts. Um, there are there are definitely teams out there that have the ability to spend, you know, thirty, forty million dollars if they really, really want to. Um, I think that it's going to be a starting pitcher that gets this money. Um, you know, despite the fact that these players likely aren't going to see the majors for five years at least, um, and who knows what the landscape by then will be. We're all looking for starting pitching now, but five years from now, we could be looking for for relief pitchers. You know, we could be looking for anything. Um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, with that, I think that just the crave over starting pitching is going to take over here. And I think Louisville is going to spend his money on this. Um, and it's going to be on one of those two starting pitchers, um, in the 75 potential bracket. Um, I could also see New Orleans being a big player here as they have a small payroll with a big time budget. Um, however, I, I really think that that's going to allow other teams to sneak in and, um, maybe snag someone else for less than they would have paid more for if everyone was, wasn't stacking all their money on those pitchers. Um, you know, I can, I can think of several times where there's been teams that have put 30 million on a pitcher and there's, you know, there's 20 of us that have done that <laughs> and you see a, and you see a, a 60 potential left fielder or center fielder even go out and sign for 2 million. You know, yeah. I can, I've seen them tons of times. And so, I think the question becomes, do you want to take the risk on grabbing one of those pitchers and missing out and missing out on others? Or do you want to um, chase those other players that, you know, still potentially could uh, could climb up as high as the others? I mean, these are young kids that are are as changing as any. And so uh, do I think somebody's going to spend 50 million? No, um, but I could see 40 easily. No, I, I uh, think that the game theory of this is extremely interesting, and it made, is made even more interesting at this stage by the uh, number of solid players, solid-looking kids that are out there. Because, um, you know, in the year that Yellow Springs threw out a $50 million chuck to one guy, well, that was an easy one for me to play. I had the most money, and there was really only one player of value out there that I thought, and so I just said, deck with it all in just do it right and i had the money and it didn't really cost me anything before it was um you know in the final analysis but here right. you've got seven really interesting uh players as many as 10 or 13 if you want to go down into the 55 overall ranks and so yes let's say that that uh, i like your bit of uh one of the starting pitchers is probably going to wind up with the biggest dollar number um, but you know, who do you go with? Um, if you're a guy with a lot of money, but not the most, do you bet Louisville is going to actually empty their entire bankroll like Shaw is uh, suggesting he might? Uh, but I'm not sure I believe him. Um, so what is the game theory there? Where do you go and where do you spread your money? Do you go on one player or, or not? Um, yeah, those are really interesting questions. Yes, don't hate him on. 
<laughs> I want to egg Sean to be as reckless as he can possibly be. That's our only chance is that he does something so Ed, so close that he flies so close to the sun that he burns everything up. So, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Going to be a fascinating IFA season, and it will be interesting to see um, how long it goes, because usually we think of the IFAs as a kind of one-shot thing, but if the uh, game theory clumps in a couple of places, you might actually see IFAs still out there for, you know, two, three sims. Um, yeah, well, and I'm, I'm also curious how many people, that are that are sitting there um, on Pedro Rocha right now are going to yank those deals off to go chase some of these these IFAs. I mean, I think that's a that's another variable that that may be unexpected and and you know anything can happen with that as well. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing. I mean, maybe Shaw is doing a double a double dip on us and he's talking about it. Everyone goes off Rocha and he goes and signs them for nothing. You know, that would be a that would be a, that would be horrible. Yeah, we'd have to throw them up. <laughs> All right, let me toss you my uh, my third strike here. Um, we also, you know, kind of kind of under the radar here with all the IFAs and the Pedro Rocha talk and everything. We had the Rule Five draft uh, this past sim. A um, couple guy, a couple good players were were taken, and so let me ask you, who is the Rule Five pick that you think has the most potential? to stick around and have the starting job this year and in future seasons? Uh, Rule 5 was definitely interesting again this year. Um, was actually kind of happy to see the little double clutch that we had happen. Uh, I think it raised the profile of Rule 5, and I think people were a little more ready for it when it occurred. So I think maybe as a, as a uh, board member, I need to do a better job of, uh, of learning from that uh, process and maybe uh, doing a better job of communicating before we uh, before we get to those times. But uh, that editorial aside, let me say that I think there were lots of interesting players. I liked uh, down deep in the draft. I liked Alfonso, was it Cologne? Um, Atlantic City picked from Hawaii was an interesting selection. Atlantic City needs starting pitchers. Uh, he's got a bit of a hole, but he could uh, wind up being impactful. I kind of liked the uh, tipping selection from Wisconsin, uh, from Madison, that uh, Wichita made. Um, he's been a guy I've been watching ever since he was included in that uh, ill-fated uh, Mons Raider deal. Um, I don't think he's winding up as strong as I was hoping that he would wind up. There were lots of really good relief pitchers moved. But the guy that I think I will stick with in answering the actual soul, uh, soul of your question is uh, in Jacksonville. Uh, first pick of the draft, which makes some sense, I guess, is Pasio Nobre, second baseman. Um, I think that is a fantastic pick for Jacksonville because I know Greg has been looking to try to get a second baseman. So Pasio Nobre, I think, is going to get a real uh, look-see. I think he will... Uh, likely win that position. He's a solid enough defender, and I think he's going to hit a little bit. And even more importantly, it saves Craig from making what I think would be the mistake of putting Daryl Priss at second base. It keeps Priss at shortstop. So I think uh, Priss and Nobre up the middle is a stronger combination than they would have had otherwise. So I would pick him as the guy most likely to have a full-time job as the season starts and knock on wood for Greg that um, that uh, Nobre handles it well enough to still have a role by the end of the year. 
Very, very interesting. I am actually going to, uh, um, I'm going to go with Phoenix's pick. Uh, they took uh, shortstop Bradley Sheen from Atlantic City. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's going, um, I'm, I'm going to take him instead of Nobre. I, I, I had Nobre written down. I'm going to take Bradley Sheen. Um, just because no break can play second, um, but Sheen can, you know, Sheen can play shortstop. He's got a great glove. Um, and those are kind of, as of right now, anyways, those are pretty valuable. He can also play left field, uh, between second, shortstop and left field. He's, a uh, at least rated higher than a 10 in all three of those positions. He can also play center. Um, so I think that even with, uh, I think it, let me see. I think Phoenix has Stromberg sitting sitting in their shortstop position right now. Yeah, they have Stromberg sitting there, but uh, Stromberg is very very injury prone, and he was not very good the past three two years. Um, so I could actually see uh, Bradley Sheen, if not replacing Stromberg at short, he's going to play enough. He's going to he's going to play in left field. He's going to play at short. He's going to play at second because. Phoenix doesn't really have a backup sitting out there right now. Um, and so I'm going to go with Sheen getting actually more at-bats uh, than Nobre gets over the next three years. That, I mean, that could be. I think Sheen is a very good selection by Phoenix in particular because he can use him in so many different ways. I think, um, obviously, if Stromberg continues to, to stay healthy, then Sheen's not going to see much um uh, much time except as like a defensive replacement, which is still fantastic. If you can put a Zimmer quality defender in, in the eighth and ninth inning, um, you know, that's like getting 40 games played, <laughs> uh, before you, uh, before it's all said and done or two ninths, 22% of 160, it'd be uh, more like 35 games played. Um, yep, yep. you know, so at the end of the day, that's a, a pretty good selection, I'm not certain that Sheen can actually hit well enough to um, to warrant the at bats that you're talking about. But that's why they play the game. We'll find out for sure before it's all said and done. It was a fantastic pick in my mind. Um, I'm just not sure he's gonna gonna stick. So um, Nobre wins the selection for me mostly because of opportunity space. I think he's got sure. the opportunity to take it. So uh, let me turn the uh, turn this third strike to you. Um, and I'm going to go to the Umeba again. Uh, Charlotte infielder Joey Newhouse um, just moved out of the BBA into the Middle East with Baghdad. I think he signed a about a 39 million or 30 million, 29 million deal, dollar deal. Um, uh, Baghdad is looking pretty strong at this point. I think Jove has been unhappy with his uh, with his. Uh, leaving the postseason as early as he did last year, and he's been making some interesting moves. Do you think that Newhouse is the biggest impact signing in the Umeba? And um, if not, maybe who is? Uh, yeah, so first of all, I just want to, you know, as you said, Baghdad is looking very strong. Um, Baghdad has a crazy offensive team. I mean, they have one, two... Three, four, five, six. They have six of the top 20 position players in the Umeba. And they have quite a few of the top 20 uh, pitching uh, players as well. Uh, but I think that – so I, I was torn here a little bit. Um, but I, I do think that Newhouse is the biggest impact signing. Um, bigger than Vir- Virgil Schaefer. Virgil Schaefer was the other guy I was kind of stuck on uh, just because of his defense and because of – um, you know, he's going to, he's going to get on, he's going to steal a lot of bases over in the, in, in, uh, in that league. And so, um, 
so I was stuck between him and Newhouse, but I, I think that Newhouse actually uh, could be the most valuable player this season in the Umeba. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that plunge and say he's going to be more valuable than, than the Ryle, Ryle Hernandez in Baghdad or, or Schaefer or Cruz or Baca or Ritter. He's going to be more valuable than any of those guys when the season ends. And, and you know, I think it's, you know, the, the value and the, the impact signings in the Umeba are obviously going to continue and, and going to evolve more as they continue to sign BBA players, which we've just started to see them do um, the last few years. Yeah, I think um, the reason that I even brought the strike up is I was looking at the guys who had come over and, you know, you talked about Schaefer. There's also Michael Best and uh, Wes Savage in center field, which is a sneaky, um, sneaky selection because I think offensively he'll be good, but defensively he'll be very good. Um, I think there's a lot of players that are going over as an impact, and so I could definitely see Newhouse being the number one guy. Um, or any of those four, there's probably a couple others too. It's an extremely exciting time. Yancy Cravat, <laughs> speaking earlier on, um, I mean, the guy might hit 80 home runs over in, in the Middle East. Uh, it'd probably be more like 60, but it'll be interesting to see what things work out. So, Yeah, so I'd say, and, you know, I just want to just branch off of that a little bit and, and you know, emphasize, just like you said, it's an exciting time for that league. And I think it was... I think it was Shoeless. I hate to quote Shoeless on anything, but um, last night he was running out a whole bunch of different hot takes. And one of the hot takes that really caught my eye was that we would have an, a um, a member of the Umeba decline the opportunity to come to the BBA here in the next five years. And I thought that was that was a very bold statement, but it's one that almost makes sense. You know, they don't want to leave what they've built and. On top of that, the uh, the prestige and the and the, the history of the Omeba is being built every day, and so I, I think that was a really good hot take and something that um, it's a hot take that is definitely probably going to happen. Yeah, definitely interesting to see what happens here. Hey, we have uh, all we're just settling in. We think we're done, but we actually have a pitch out has come in here. And uh, and I want to run this by you, see what kind of a uh, of a take you can get. The pitch out is. Um, coming from the complete outside, who is the second best team in the Pacific? Assuming, of course, that Sacramento is the first best. Oh, that's a hard thing to assume to begin with. But um, I suppose we'll um, we're going to go with Hawaii here. I think Hawaii was was chasing Sacramento last year. Probably would have caught them if the season was longer. Um, and I, I really like what Hawaii is going on. Um, they have a they have a really strong offense. Um, they were I think top five in runs scored. They were definitely top ten in runs against. Um, you know they were the only other team to have a positive run differential in that in that division as well. Um, I think the the long term especially points towards Hawaii. Um, they have a a really really good offense. Uh, and so I, I just don't see a, I don't see any other team stepping up right now. Yeah, I, I um, on the whole I would agree with you, but I would agree with you because my um, my uh, call it a hot take is I would consider Hawaii the best team in the Pacific right this minute anyway. So I don't think that the supposition that Sacramento is number one is uh, is actually going to to fly. I think it'll take them a a little while to get used to their new. Uh, new brand, they might dazzle themselves as the sun glints off of their new logos and things like that. 
Uh, two other teams that I've actually mentioned, I wonder whether San Fernando or Portland will end up being number two here pretty soon. And I know Portland is an extreme hot take, uh, but I really like what Chris is doing there. Um, I have no idea how all the pieces are going to come together, but he already had some good young guys come, and I think he's probably still a year out. Uh, but with free agency, if he goes out and gets Rocha, you just you just never know. But uh, Hawaii extended Zach Johnson earlier on. They've got all that pitching. Woolen Weber is still as brilliant as he ever was. They've got some solid young hitters. I think they're the team to beat in Hawaii. I'll call Sacramento second best. Um, if either San Fernando or Portland comes and picks up Rocha, maybe they are actually the second best team in the league. It really depends on how that Sacramento pitching staff continues to age. I think before it's all. Absolutely. Let me ask you just as a just as maybe an additional hot take here. Well, I mean, first of all, is anybody in the Pacific truly a winner? You know, but uh, you know, is there a is there a maybe be careful how I word this? Is there what are the chances that all of these teams or or the top team has less than eighty three wins this year in the Pacific? Yeah. I don't know. That's a hard question. Um, the Heartland is getting so much better all the time. Um, and I, we had a, I had made a comment either on the forum or on Slack, I can't remember where now, that, you know, the Pacific is getting better, but will we actually notice? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. You look at what the, a lot of the Pacific teams are doing, and it's clear that they are getting better. I mean, Vancouver had a weird drop, and they're going to be okay. Um, I think that Taylor is actually doing a, a soft semi-rebuild. <laughs> um, you know, the way he's thinking about things, I really like his uh, conversations on the forum about, you know, lessons that he's learning and how he's thinking about things. Um, you know, Portland is going to be good. Uh, I know that Stephen is writing some things out in Long Beach. I don't think they're going to be particularly good for a little bit. Um, my, you know, my concern is that they all... They all are slowly improving, like you said, or they're getting better. Um, is that going to be all at the same time where they're literally just beating the crap out of each other? And then they have to come play the Heartland. We beat the crap out of them to where they all, you know, they all finish at 80 wins, basically, or less. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be. You, you don't uh, don't really know. It's the I love this division structure with eight teams and eight teams and playing each other in the numbers that you do. There's just enough interdivision play uh, to kick up uh, good data to try to suggest which divisions are better and worse and all that other good stuff. Um, and I love, obviously, I love playing the Heartland card and all that other, all the um, uh, chutzpah that comes with that is great fun. Um Intellectually, it's certainly possible that the the division-leading team in the Pacific could wind up with 83, 84 games, but I think it's more likely that you're, you'll see a more classic uh, lumping of the um, uh, lumping of the division as it as it goes. And I think ultimately you see Hawaii and San, uh, Sacramento um, and probably one of San Fernando, Portland, Vancouver. Um, stepping into that mix, uh, but still, I, I I'm almost getting to the point where I'm feeling a little bit uh, worried for Madison because um, I'm not seeing them take as many steps as they would have probably if they had 
not been dealing with the Mons Raider fallout. Um, I think Jeff in Des Moines now has some momentum going behind him. Um, you know, Matt is still going to struggle a little bit. Louisville's got another year or two, I think, at the very, very tippy top. If they falter any, I've got another year or two going. Um, and I'm working my, <laughs> I'm like a like a duck paddling under the surface. I'm trying very very hard to try to get my my uh, my ducks all lined up in a row, uh, to try to be able to get past 2044. Um, you in Omaha are an extremely tough team right now. It looks like um, Twin Cities already showed what they're made of, and I think they've made a couple of interesting little tweaks to get better. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating year, and that question can. Can a team win a, a Pacific Division with 83 wins? It certainly is possible. Um, I think that possibility is low, <laughs> but the mathematics are there to make it to make it work. Very good, very good, very good. That was a that was a unexpected almost pitch out that I that I there threw you, you there. Alrighty. Just to, just to get you back. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate your time here this afternoon. I know you got to get back to work, and uh, so I, I um, we'll see if we can make this happen again next week. Sounds good. All righty. Thanks, Justin. All right. Thanks, Rob. You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at fesleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.